Welcome to Sunny in Seattle with your host, Sunny Joy. And coming up on today's show, Sunny is joined by surfer, mama, author, and founder of the Satosha Society, Corey Hahn, to discuss her new book, Rituals of the Soul. So tune in and learn how the eight principles of yoga can help a person connect with and start living from their intuition. And you don't even need a yoga mat. And now I welcome your host for the day, Sunny Joy. And good morning. Welcome to Sunny in Seattle. I'm your host, Sunny Joy McMillan, and we're here every Friday from 9 to 10 a.m. on Alternative Talk 1150 a.m. KKNW in Seattle, as well as 103.3 KPCA in Petaluma, bringing you amazing guests and resources that will help you create a life filled with peace, joy, freedom, and purpose. It is radio that positively shines. And if you can't catch the show live, you can always access those show archives. Those are found at 1150kknw.com. You can also find the show on iTunes and Podcast One. Um, and just as quick housekeeping, my website is goldenoversoul.com. That is goldenoversoul.com. So I'm really excited to welcome our guest today, Corey Hahn. Uh, she is the author of Rituals of the Soul, Using the Eight Ancient Principles of Yoga to Create a Modern and Meaningful Life. She is the founder of a community gathering place called Santosha Society, which is dedicated to travel, surfing, and the soulful. She hosts numerous trips around the world for hundreds of women who study Ayurveda, yoga, meditation, and all things related to soul growth, knowledge, and fulfillment. When she isn't traveling, she divides her time between Sri Lanka and Southern California. And the website to check out more is SantoshaSociety.com. That's S-A-N-T-O-S-H-A, SantoshaSociety.com. Corey, welcome to Sunny in Seattle. Thank you so much for having me, Sunny. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so excited. Yeah, your book was so much fun to read. Uh, so I'm really excited for our conversation. So good. Yeah, me too. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to start with kind of perhaps a random question, but um, I'm Perfect. curious, how is the bar-tailed godwit relevant to our discussion today? Oh my God, I love this. <laughs> <laughs> this is why you're the talent girl. Okay, well, you know, I lived in Alaska for a long time on boats that were for tourists and, you know, these, it, I called them boutique uh, cruises. And but I became a birder, actually, because the guest always wanted to know what the name of the bird was. And so I started learning a lot about birds in my, what was it, late 20s, early 30s, when I had this job for five years working on the sea. I talked about it a little bit more in the book later, but I yeah. realized that this bird, the, the bar-tailed godwit, takes flight from Alaska and flies nonstop, usually nine days, but let's say that's the best case scenario. It could be like, and this is a tiny little bird, like the kind yeah. that you would see on your porch, you know, not like a huge peacock or anything. And, um, which also can't fly very far, <laughs> like maybe feet. <laughs> but anyways, the godwit makes it all the way to New Zealand. And it just got me to thinking like every animal on this planet has some sort of soul driven migration they're here to make. Yeah. And us too. Yeah. <laughs> so that's where the Godwit plays in. I saw that journey and I thought, you know, if I was the Godwit, what would I be doing leaving Alaska? It's so gorgeous, sunny in the summer, so much yeah. food everywhere. And then they, you know, why wouldn't they just want to stay? If it was me, I'd be like, I'm just going to put a cabin here, call it a house, call it a home. I'm never leaving. But yeah. what would happen if I didn't go with my intuition and take that leap of faith? 
faith and fly to New Zealand is I would have found myself in this scarce, frozen, horrible, dark, cold, no food, no survival place. And so that's, I think, what we often find ourselves in in our human experience is not following our soul migration. And then somehow we're like, how did I get here? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And you really did follow your own, um, I don't know if you call it a migration or what, but you, you know, you write that seven years ago, you left an eight-year relationship, the home you'd created to get together, to spend basically an Alaskan winter in a yurt. And friends were asking you, you know, why did you leave this beautiful life? You had a loving partner, you had a comfy cabin, and you're going to go live off the grid in a yurt. And so I, I, I feel like that's like the, the point when your journey takes off, because when you were there during that winter, you learned some things about your dreams that it's that actually has led us to where this conversation is happening today. You in Sri Lanka, me here in California. <laughs> and yes. so, yeah, I'm just curious. Can you tell us a little bit about that initial leap or that initial taking flight towards something that didn't make a whole hell of a lot of logical sense to everybody, but you knew you needed to do it? Yeah, it was like years of knowing I needed to leave this relationship. And and, and I think so many people ask me like, you know, about that in my life, my career since then of becoming a yoga teacher, but I really did. I left the boat that I just told you about where I worked with birds and tourists and I guided people in a naturalist experience, but really going within myself and using these tools of yoga that I've learned for so many years and sitting with it, I, I realized I actually wanted something completely different for my life. And that's not to say it was all clear at the time. It was like baby steps. So many people ask me, what's the big moment that led to this transformation? And I was like, many days? Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, it was like at one day I left my house. I didn't know why. I just didn't want to be there anymore. And then a friend offered a yurt. It felt like a yes. So I went up into that yurt and I stayed up there and I, I had the money. I had all this money at the time because I just got, had a really good work season on boats. So, you know, that's yeah. funny. And I was just like, I can't go anywhere. I don't even know where I want to go. Yeah. And I had to just figure it out for a little bit. And it didn't come overnight. It wasn't an aha moment. You know, like it was years of crying in the bathroom before I left, before I had the space to figure out where I was going, what I wanted to do, what would make me really happy with each and every, not happy, but excited. Because it's yeah. not always happy. <laughs> no, I know. Totally... No, that's a good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's an important <laughs> distinction. I get you there. <laughs> yeah. So don't spent... quote me on that one. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> so you spent this winter there, and and at the time you already had if uh, you already had a yoga practice, um, but it from my reading of the book, your practice changed during that winter, or it started to change during that winter, and and during that time. A, another dream really came to the surface. Um, and I know this book really is about um, connecting with one's intuition and then following the dreams of one's soul. Um, and so what, tell us kind of what transformed during that, that Alaskan winter. I, the first time I had the space to see the Northern light, to see the Northern lights, the stars, everything, but I saw it within myself. I felt pings of excitement. And, you know, I had to have like 12 hours of boredom, of chopping wood, of doing the mundane. But then when I got this ping of excitement, I see 
you know, this is when Instagram first came out as silly as it sounds, but like, mm-hmm. I would see this picture of these girls surfing on longboards. And I just thought, I want to do that. That looks glorious. I've always been in love with the ocean. And what, after 12 years in Alaska, I couldn't really emerge in it, which mm-hmm. is so such a metaphor for the book too. Cause I was in yoga, but I wasn't really fully engaged in that either. I was doing what I was told to do, what I thought I was supposed to do. Mm-hmm. one hour of yoga, one at 30 minutes of meditation. But when I really just went in deeper into that intuit- intuition, I got so clear on the books I wanted to read, which was like Clarissa Pinkola Estes, Women Who Run With The Wolves, which is all about really being wild and wandering. And I, I found that at just the right time. And, you know, I'd see these pictures of surfer girls, and then I'd find myself just sitting by my wood-fired stove, drawing pictures of the surf. And I just realized this is what makes me excited I gotta go for this and so I did and I cried for a a month two months I don't even remember I mean I talked you know the other day about how that journal is full of teardrops there's smudges on every page it's not just this glorious aha there's my dream let me go for it this is going to be amazing it's like but I have to leave all this I have to leave everyone I know everything I've done, all the support. And, you know, this person loves me so much. Do I feel worthy? Like, am I loved without it? Do I need that? I don't know so many questions. And that's the really the importance isn't the dream, but where the dreams taking you to learn about yourself, what it's taking you to uh, realize and and so, yeah, so I went and learned to surf. <laughs> yeah, and I do. I want to just, as you, I really want to um, point out what you just said about that there was a month or two months of just tears, um, because I do think so often people hear a story like yours and, you know, you go, you're now coming to us from Sri Lanka and you're teaching surf and yoga and meditation and all these cool things. And um, it can sound like all sunshine and roses, which I'm sure a lot of it is, and to get there, it pushed you through a lot of discomfort. And that is, it doesn't mean you've made the wrong choice in following those dreams or moving toward them. It simply means, I mean, well, you tell me what it means. <laughs> like what did it, that there's when you're, growing yeah. pains yeah. and that, you know, really you can see flowers and roses and it can look dreamy for anywhere. And people say that, and it's so cliche, but like, yeah. to be honest, I just came back from California and I just came back to this village to the reality of how alone I have been here. I left mm. my family. I left my, and, and every interview I've been doing or radio, or whatever. And they're like, what a dream. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah, I miss my family. <laughs> yes. Know, like, but like, there's just always a yin to the yang. And we really can choose to see the flowers or we can choose not, which is a funny concept because you know, um, anyways, it's just, it is, we can choose to see our lightness or our darkness. And, um, that's the path though. And so, you know, there was a lot of sadness as well as lightness and accepting both, I think is ultimately what we're getting towards in this entire journey that we're on. Right. And would you do it if you had to do it over again, would you do it again? Leaving Alaska? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, you know, even I went back there um, this summer and just, and it was so great. And it's so amazing. I never felt such connection with people. We really sat in the woods silently together. There's like an essence of understanding there with my friends. It's a depth Mm. that I I don't know anywhere else with people. 
and mm. and yet I still have to leave them. I I was there for six weeks and was like, okay, the snow's falling. I have to be in the warmth and the sunshine. <laughs> you know, I still do. I gotta go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yes, because what you see, you can't unsee. So yes. that's why you just have to follow it. Yeah. Okay. So before we get too far further in our discussion around dreams and how following this, you know, the rituals of the soul that you talk about through using, you know, yoga uh, system to uh, yoga principles to really tap into one's intuition. I want to ask just at the outset, a lot of people said to you um, in the beginning, you know, dreams are a way of running away from your reality. Um, What would you say to that now, knowing what you do? we all get tired from running and you're going to have to stop and face it at some point. (laughs) Most of the time we're unconscious to that. So people can see us as that, but that's truly their projection. And, you know, I just came back after this trip to the States and after not the COVID experience had me not traveling for the first time in my life for the longest. I mean, before this, I was living in Bali and had to do a visa run every two months. I was flying somewhere to run a retreat and then I'd fly back. And, and what I've realized is just that by sitting here and I, you know, everyone's like, wow, what's it like to not travel anymore to do this? And it was great. But now that I can, I'm like, oh, right. That's me though. Like, I'm still ready to go. Like you want to meet in Paris next week. And like, I don't want to be a part of like, you know, like global warming or anything, but also like, that's just who I am. I always need to be out there doing, moving. And yeah, it took me running a business that, you know, stopped at COVID to realize, oh, wow, my worth doesn't live in the money that I make Mm. in my business. And it took my husband leaving me over COVID to realize my worth also doesn't live in who loves me. My worth lives in me. And I had to run through all those dreams to realize that, you know? Yeah. You know, this is something that I have been sitting with. Um, and I, if folks have been listening to the show, they kind of know background details, but I will say, I'm curious in your experience, you know, could you learn your self-worth separate and apart from money, separate and apart from a partner, separate and apart from whatever externals any of us attach to, to prove our worth? Like, could you learn it any other way than lose, not losing, but having a pause on those things? Or, or as you say, your husband leaving or something like that, could you learn it without the actual experience of it? I haven't. <laughs> okay, <laughs> me neither. But I didn't know. <laughs> it's the dark nights of the soul when the needle moves. You know, I don't <sighs> go to a meditation retreat when my anxiety has been chill for six months. I don't even mm-hmm. think about that. I go to an yeah. anxiety retreat when I know that I need those practices. And that's why the intuition is so important in all this. Because no yes. one else can know besides you where you're supposed to be, what practices you're supposed to be doing. Like you really are your own guru. And we're so yeah. lucky to live in this modern day age where even psychology is changing to this new understanding of, you know, there's science and psychology and neurology behind all these old practices of Buddhism and meditation and, mm-hmm. and yogic philosophies. And there's tried and tested science now that show you know like what the nervous system can do to your mental health and what you're how you're eating is connected with that and I just think that our dreams are also all connected with that you know as simple as it is to learn one yoga pose that pose might be leading you to the strength or the flexibility 
or the openness that you need for something else. Yes. It's and not I just about the yoga pose. Yeah. Yes. Sorry. Yes. And so that, no, 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 my gosh, my gosh. No, I'm just so excited to talk to you. I keep stepping on your toes. So my apologies. <laughs> but I just want to say, I just want to repeat something you said there. And then we can, I want to dive in because that was a perfect segue into what this book, Rituals of the Soul, is all about. But it's the dark nights of the soul when the needle moves. Ooh, that is good. I like that. Um, and very timely for me as well. And I know we've got some big life decisions in our life um, and my partners and I, our life, um, you know, where we're going to be living and if I'm going back to school and all these things. So anyway, I just want to thank you because this conversation is not only about sharing with the audience, but what you were saying is hitting my heart as well. So thank you, Corey. Oh, gorgeous. I love that. <laughs> so the book is about how the eight principles of yoga can really help a person connect with and start living from their intuition. Now, I, having practiced yoga in my life, it's all been a series of physical poses on a mat in a yoga studio. Traditionally, I would never have made a direct connection between yoga and connecting with intuition. So can you tell us really how those two are connected? Yeah, sure. And, you know, there's even a sutra and I wish I had it here. I'm actually going to paint it right after this interview and put it on my wall because I want to say this every single time I'm asked about this, but there's yeah. even a sutra in the old, in the Bible of yoga, the yoga sutra is a Patanjali and it says all powers of, you know, intuition is like the ultimate yogic power. And like, if you can use yoga to get to your intuition and that's, that's it. You got it. You got the superpower now, like follow mm -hmm. that. And that's what was missing for me for so long. And I think that if people can use their yoga practice to really move into within mm -hmm. and to constantly ask themselves, what do I want? Where do I want to go and use your dreams to guide your yoga practice? It just, it just works so much more on a personal level on where you want to go. It's really helpful. I mean, it's just yeah. so much better. Yes, yeah. yes. And, but you write, maybe there are people out there who don't have a yoga practice. And I'm talking about the type of practice that I was talking about, my most basic Western understanding of it, you know, go to a studio with a mat, get in some physical poses. But you right. write that you don't even need a yoga mat for what you're talking about. Like the formula you're talking about you don't ever have to step foot on a yoga mat. How does that work? Well, well I taught my grandma, my 80-year-old grandma, mm. Ashtanga yoga once, and that didn't go well. I pretty much <laughs> blew her back out right after oh. my yoga teacher training when I was so ego-holy and full of yoga knowledge. <laughs> and I just, and you know, I worked with people with disabilities for 10 years in Alaska. That was definitely one of my passions. Um, you might hear their storm. There's like a thunder oh and lightning God. everywhere. I'm Oh my gosh, I, it, but it's great. I do, I, I do. <laughs> okay, cool. Well, that's the sound. So sorry about that. But um, no, it's really that sounds uh, amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's adding to the, the moment. Yes. But you know, I realized like, how is this person who doesn't even have functioning lower body, you know, people with mental disabilities, like, how is this system supposed to work for them? Yeah. So you're telling me, you know, that it's only for those of us that like, what move on a yoga mat move our yeah. bodies in a certain way it just it honestly Sunny this took me 10 years to even consider because I was so in my own mind I mean right mm -hmm. like in my own world and if I do enough ashtanga 
I like the irony of that is then I would go to work with people who couldn't even move, which I'm doing the most physical form of yoga. Yeah. And then like going to work with people who like, you know, have limited mo mobility in many ways yes. and mental capacities and development. Um, and so it just became so silly to me and um, that that's where the focus was. And as I really thought about it and I thought, you know, what do I want to use? Like, how do I want to heal my own problems and what are my own problems? I've yeah. never had a cavity. I've never broken a bone. Like I'm pretty adventurous and I do a lot of things, but my body doesn't fail me much. Yep. Now my mental body, my mental health has been a struggle for a really long time. I've had debilitating, debilitating anxiety. There's definitely been thick bouts of depression here and there. And, you know, they say in the, one of the sutras says yoga is the cessation that the, the middle ground, this even, you know, not so fluctuating mind. It's really finding a peace in the mind. And I realized, well, that's what I want mm. because and so I would started using it for that. And that's why, you know, the book is heavy in meditation. But mm -hmm. I believe that most of us, when I think back to the great yogis of when this Bible was written and what people would have come to them with their true struggles in the same way that people come to me today, now, last year, five years ago, it's mm -hmm. mental struggles. It's yep. heart struggles. It's not physical. And this yeah. is a system for helping us overcome to find union with our consciousness, it's a big deal. It's not gonna live in the body. You know, I mean, the body is our tool and we have to come back and bring ourselves into the body and away from the mind. But what I'm saying is, is it's it's not how how tight your bum is for crying yeah. out loud, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yes. And that I learned so much about yoga through your book. And I know. You know, the backbone of your book is based on that ancient text, the, the Bible of yoga, I think, as you call it, the Yoga Sutra of Patanjali. Um, and interestingly, um, I, I learned from your book that there it's a collection of 196 Sanskrit sutras or short precepts on theory and practice of yoga. Only one line is apparently about using yoga as a movement practice. Yes, Sunny. And it pretty <laughs> much was this. Ready? You want to hear the one line? Yeah. It's pretty yeah. much like, come get comfortable and steady because I'm about to tell you the system. It was not like come sit and do vinyasa, ashtanga, anusara, iyengar, like, you know, like get your yoga ball and your strap and like, oh my God, you can't put your legs behind your head. There was none of that. The only thing they wanted you to do was come sit and get comfortable because they wanted to explain to you the system. You didn't have to move. You could have been my 80 year old grandma. You sat in front of the yogis and they listened to your problems and they gave you your own personal prescription. And if you said, I'm so worried about that, you know, losing my other child, they would yeah. give you some sort of meditation for that. Or if I'm so angry at my husband for running around the whole village, they would give you something. They would take your personal problems and find one of these techniques if you yes. had no idea what you wanted to do with your life or where you wanted to go, they would help you to guide you to, you know, your, what feels valuable to you, to what lights your passion, to a moment of clarity. Like I took in that year to figure that out. 
Yeah, I had no idea. Um, I really didn't. And so I'm, from where you sit and what you know, because you've obviously been practicing for many, many years, you know, all of the different movement practices within it, you know, the principles behind it. Where did it become, at least in the West, in my experience, solely about the movement practice? Like, why is there such a focus on that versus, I mean, it feels like you're the first person I've come across that's talking about the other stuff. Because it was easy to market in our capitalist system, wouldn't you think? Oh. I mean, Lululemon, <laughs> yeah. I, mean, <laughs> I don't know. I don't think it was necessary. And it was late. It was like 50 years ago. It came with Jimi Hendrix, you know? I mean, mm -hmm. it was like not ever really believed to be some sort of, and I think we are from the U.S. where there's, you know, a strong religious Hinduism and Buddhism in these, this system aren't necessarily dogmatic or, right. you know, they're really an art of living guidance systems. There's no yeah. solid, it's like, figure out what you are, not yeah. Jesus came and told you, or, you know, or Muhammad told you even, it's not a set religion. It's really like a, a, a guide to self-exploration. Yes. Yeah. So oh, no, go ahead. Sorry. I think, <laughs> well, and you know, I just, I'm not sure if this is a, applicable here, but like, essentially the Buddha and his entire teachings came from yoga. I mean, he was a prince in a yogic world in Hinduism. And they had these, you know, old wise men, these sages wandering around at the time aesthetics, and they could do these incredible things like introspection, you would meet them and they had this intuitive power to tell you things about yourself that made people believe they were holy. Mm -hmm. And that was what he grew up in. And essentially he found his own ritual. He, you know, and he sat with it for 13 mm -hmm. years. And, and it's the same as this yoga. He used the yogic system to manifest his own enlightenment. And I love that, um, you know, that Buddhism is, is a yogi. Buddha is a yogi. Yeah. <laughs> like he's the proof that this system that I'm telling people in this book is like it works he did it you know <laughs> many yeah. have done it <laughs> yes yes and I just want to share um, uh, a quote that you included here from Yogananda who is one of my favorite ascended masters um, uh, and he says that a yogi engages himself in a definite step-by-step uh, uh, -step procedure by which the body and mind are disciplined and the soul liberated that soul liberation part I just thought ah I, again, never had associated that before. Um, yeah. Do you want to speak to that at all? What soul liberation is or what, why that you included that quote? Yeah, because I wanted people to see that this is a process. And if you don't understand this, the eight steps of it, I call it, we, you know, for whatever reason, it's called, you know, principles in this on the cover, mm -hmm. but it's, it's a stage, it's a ladder, it's a stairway. And mm -hmm. I didn't even contemplate anything besides asana which like I told you was pretty much so I took the 196 sutras and took one that said come sit get comfortable and studied mm -hmm. 10 years on that mm -hmm. like come on why didn't I learn the entire step by step system and then if I wanted to go back and focus on postures fine right I would have learned so much more had I understood all of the process in the same way that you don't just go and do anything and not know how to do it, you know, like even making a peanut butter sandwich as you did in grade school, it's step by step. Now you know how to make it. Like for some reason that wasn't, 
I don't know, uh, yeah. passed on. And yeah, yeah, it's a good way to look at it, though. It's definitely helpful, been helpful for me. I think. Yeah. Well, so let's back up a little because it took you many, many years of your practice to finally see beyond just the asana, the movement part of it. Um, so tell us a little bit about how I want to say how yoga found you, but I don't know, maybe you consider it you finding yoga, like what, how that first came about and then um, how you, I think you described it as your, your practice used to be pretty rigid or militaristic and it became much more of an uh, intuitive yoga. So yeah, how did you, how did you come to yoga? I came to yoga actually um, when I was 21 in college and living very wildly for many years as many children do. I mean, we're <laughs> children let loose, really, aren't we? It's just such a very scary time once you're, <clears throat> excuse me, later in life when you have children, you're like, dear God, I don't want my child to be at that age again. But, <laughs> but I, um, and unfortunately I was living a pretty wild life and, I, you know, I managed to be fairly philosophical so I could easily manage my way through a, a very easy state you know, university, but mm -hmm. I was living, you know, very wildly. And, um, unfortunately, you know, my boyfriend in college, he passed away and it was, um, it was, you know, a game changer for me. It was, yeah. it was incredibly painful. I had no idea I had been raised as a Christian and suddenly, you know, as I, wow, this, I mean, I, it feels even heavy talking about it, but I just mm. remember seeing that casket drop into the ground and being like, I have no idea where he just went. Like, mm. I have no idea what just happened. And that reality, um, you know, like I said before, was full of tears for many years, really. And then I've had other friends um, pass away since then. And each one gave me a more uh, debilitating anxiety, to be honest, mm. that, that this was the reality was I, that I had not come to any terms with. And that we were living and then we were just gone. Um, and I'd say that the whole time I was quite, I have a natural sensitivity to like psychic things. And like, you know, I, I, I could feel him with me after he was dead and, and very much so. And I've had different experiences throughout the years. So looking back, clearly I have a superpower of being intuitive and mm -hmm. um, which led me to where I am now. But at that time I had really no understanding of what really could have happened and I needed to know. And so I had a college professor that I absolutely adored and still do. She's still my idol. And she invited me to come to like her little yoga class in this small West Texas town at a local gym. And, um, but you know, she was the perfect first yoga teacher for me, like just poetic and, and soft and kind. And it was, it was gentle and, and everything I needed. And I found a moment of peace in all my grief and so I stuck with it and I yeah. wasn't going to give it up until I found an answer <laughs> yeah <laughs> so that's where it came from <laughs> yeah and so what did how did it become from uh, the more militaristic or rigid you know I need to do these poses this many times each day with mm. this amount of meditation to I want to feel peaceful today. Therefore I will choose this pose or I will do this, uh, you know, activity. Oh, the best thing we can do. Oh my God, Sonny, this is the best thing we can do. So yeah, <laughs> it was having a kid. It was having a kid. And you know what? Like they say that in Ashtanga, which was always my lineage for so many years, even though my body wasn't meant for it and it 
probably created more pain in my body than healing. Who knows to mm-hmm. say, you know, who knows, mm-hmm. but I had a baby and, mm-hmm. um, that wasn't possible anymore. Not only the poses, but any sort of progression. And, and I'm also 40. So it just literally couldn't sustain. Mm-hmm. And like, I, like we talked about earlier, I re- started realizing that if I was going to spend an hour a day doing anything, am I very busy now? I'm an entrepreneur also trying to be creative and write and doing all these things, mothering, like, what was I really going to spend that hour doing? Yeah. This, <laughs> you know, yeah. the same freaking yoga routine for another 10 years. And it was just like, no. And, and so I started doing a lot of yoga nidra. I actually had, was so freaked out when I got pregnant and had so much stress through my first trimester that I decided to like really dedicate the rest of my pregnancy to full deep relaxation as much as I could. Cause Ah. I just wanted to help that little baby out. Cause I was like, I really screwed you up those first three months. Like it was, I was so freaked out. And so I started I spent six, well, I'd say like even a year. Cause then after he was born, I also did my yoga nature practice when I was breastfeeding, but I really learned to relax. And so I took yeah. that militaristic style and that time and that type A personality. And I moved it to another skill mm. and that's all it took relaxing. <laughs> yes. And so I want to actually spend a little bit of time here because yoga nidra is something that I have used very, very, uh, just a couple of times, really. I have a a dear friend who swears by it. I've read wonderful things about it. I know it is a fantastic practice. Um, I was really fascinated. Again, your book told me things about really the foundational components of it or what it is meant to do or how it can really help access the soul. So can we talk a little bit about yoga nidra? Because that's one of the, that's from my reading of your book, that was one of your favorite, three favorite feeling practices. And it's really Mm -hmm. about going beneath the layers of who you are to get right down to the core soul. And you even had like a, uh, an epiphany when you started using yoga nidra and it it related to the writing. I mean, I think it's probably why we have this book we have that we're talking about today, Rituals of the Soul. Absolutely. I just had another epiphany like two nights ago too, that (gasps) I was just like, wow, you know, like just with, with my husband and the breakup and learning co-parenting. And it was just like, you're coming at this at a really wrong angle or not wrong. I shouldn't say, but here's a different angle. And and I found so much clarity in yoga. I love this. I love talking about yoga nidra and you're right. I'm such an advocate for it. And especially when I found out how powerful yoga nidra is for like, they've adopted it at VA hospitals. And let's, I mean, Mm. I'm like, the VA hospitals are not the most liberal for alternative <laughs> medicines in the right. world. Like, okay. So like you're going <laughs> to, that that's the proof that there's a lot of science and yeah. uh, psychology behind this and the power of it. And mm-hmm. um, yeah. And then going deep into the, the training of it with this, uh, a psychiatrist, it was all psychiatrists in my class and how they were seeing how they were going to use this was incredibly powerful for me because I realized I don't have to think and write and express and verbalize all my trauma and everything. All I have to do is relax and it will seep yes. away. It's the most peaceful way to do the work. You know, we have all this yet like strong, I don't know, motivation or inspiration these days, like be doing, be going, be making that dream manifest. But essentially mm-hmm. like, God, the best thing you can do is actually like 
it, it can be so much easier than we let it if we relax more. It's so counterintuitive. Yes. <laughs> Ironically, you know? Yes. And so really what you're doing with Yoga Nidra is uh, going through layers of consciousness. Um, yes. Or is that what it's meant to do? Exactly. You do. And at first you might just not have the concentration or focus to do a yoga nature practice. Many people tell me they fall asleep or they lost their train of thought. That's mm. so common for a beginner. Okay. Mm -hmm. You must need sleep. So sleep and come back mm -hmm. when you're well rested or come back yeah. when you're tired again and go to sleep. But eventually you're going to catch up on your sleep and you're going to start <laughs> learning to focus and you will be guided into all the layers of the body. And it does peel like an onion. It's more mm. like a porous onion that you can move layers through. Like there's fluids moving through all of them and energy moving through all of them. But yes, you can see your body for what it is. And, you know, it's a physical layer. Then you have a breath layer below that. Even your breath layer moves your physical layer. Below the breath layer, you have your emotions. When you have strong emotions, it affects how your heart beats and your breath and the pace of your breath which also moves into tightness and, you know, reactions within the physical body. And you can start to see how they're all connected there, but until yeah. you know that they're there and that's how they are layered, you really yeah. just are kind of unconsciously feeling it all. And it's yes. really overwhelming. And yes. So this is a way to just break it down to, this is what my physical body is doing. This is what my breath and my heart are doing as a reaction beneath that. There is this feeling of uncertainty of the future aka anxiety and <laughs> you know if you move below that where is the anxiety coming from I have the strong belief that everyone's going to think I'm a failure oh okay now we're getting somewhere so if you get rid of that be belief layer or that tension there that everyone's the fear that everyone's going to think you're a failure what's beneath that dream mm -hmm. manifested soul bliss happiness like there's nothing if you move all those they call them sankaras and buddhism but those deep beliefs about yourself that you're unworthy that you're not enough and that's why it all comes back down to that which takes us to a whole nother level on topic but yes learning yeah. those layers is the best thing you can do if you want to holistically heal your trauma mm. without a doubt yes and you can do it all while in shavasana pose right and corpse pose yes laying there <laughs> doing nothing you don't have to put a leg behind your head you don't even have to have legs you know, that's yeah, the thing, yeah. Sunny. Yeah. You don't have to have a mat. You can have a, a pallet or a mat on the floor or a bed. Yeah. Like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, yeah, I need to, I need to return to yoga nidra. Clearly after reading your book, it, it has inspired me to try to use it again, but also with a, with a, with a, a more foundational understanding about what it's really doing, which is pretty darn cool. Um, okay. So, um, let's talk a little bit you know the again the the whole thrust of the book is about using these yoga uh the system of yoga the eight step system of yoga to tap into connect with and act on your intuition so how is the book structured or what do people need to know about how the book is structured because it it might sound a little complicated but you've really made the language accessible and the um putting these things into action very accessible yeah, thank you for that. I wanted to to be easily digestible. And I also realized that um, if you meet me in real life, I can overcomplicate everything. 
So one of the things I really wanted to do in the book is simplify it. And my, I actually had this vision in one of my yoga nidras of a, a very simple Japanese Zen temple, like not a lot of fluff. And mm-hmm. I really wanted to go back and to really, for people to understand how they're going to apply this because it, it comes across as so complex and yeah. my God, I, I hope I could do the same thing for Ayurveda because I think I would unlock the key to life then, you know, but like <laughs> these, these Eastern philosophies are, they become so complex because they're so translated with so much confusion. Yeah. And so, um, yes, the basics of the books is that I take you through each of the steps. So you understand it and you get a little entertainment, hopefully with like a travel narrative story of how I kind of came to find this on my own. So it's, I'm not saying I'm a guru and I hope that in the book that people realize I'm just a girl, just like anyone else doing, like having, you know, my husband's leaving me and I'm, I'm trying to start a business and I got a kid. Like I am so everyday average and I have no superpowers besides that. I have expressed what I feel was channeled. Oh my God. Yeah. The rain is just pouring down. I'm getting louder. I can hear myself. Sorry, but uh, um, no, you're great. It all sounds good on okay. our end. Benny will jump in if there's an issue. Okay, great. And, um, but anyways, so to go in with each principle and take a moment with it. And, you know, I teach this in an online course also, and I take a week for each principle so you can really engage with it and feel it. And so, for example, the first two steps of the process are just like anything, they're rules and virtues. So I always like print them, put them in your wallet and come back to them every day when you're making a decision, or if you're not sure about something, and they might help give you clarity on you know, what the yogis said, most people who are guided by spirituality or towards soul growth, like these virtues, things like, you know, heart pings and, and, and fiery excitement and doing things that you love and do, keeping things clean and non-toxic. They gave us some guidelines. But then yeah. when you move to the, the final six steps of the eight, they're, they're tangible practices, actually. And ex- especially the ones more than the physical, yeah. <laughs> ironically. So you have like, Asana, I believe, was pretty much come and sit and get steady and comfortable. In other words, clear out your schedule, clear out your distractions, the crap that's keeping you from coming to the yoga mat and not showing up for yourself and not showing up for you want. Figure that crap out, okay? And then you come here and then I'm going to teach you to meditate. And that's it. Like pranayama, I'm going to teach you to focus on your breath, to concentrate and to focus. And when you learn to do that, which takes some time then you're going to be able to feel into beneath the layers of, like I just told you with yoga nidra, that physical and breath layer, then you can move below into the the things that are really holding you back. You know, your limiting beliefs and uh, the traumas that you don't even remember because you've been distracting yourself for 30 years from it. You know, I mean, it's silly, but it's not silly. So it's, it's just like, we do so much unconsciously and we don't even know why. And so even yeah. someone today said, I don't need therapy. And I'm like, everybody needs therapy. <laughs> like we don't even know what we're doing, you know, but, um, but once you learn to feel and see, and you become your own therapist and that's the thing, that's the key. Yeah. Then you see how we all need therapy. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you know? yes. And, um, and from that, then the, the final three stages are really quite simple, but once you know how you feel, once you know what your dreams are and what that intuition is saying, the last three stages are just like, here you go. Here's how to act on it. And it's pretty much by relaxing more, realizing what those beliefs that are holding you back, you know, are you scared to talk on the radio for saying something stupid? 
but don't forget <laughs> yeah. that your dream is to share your truth. You know what I mean? Like, so like, get rid of that fear, like work through it, say an affirmation. I speak well, whatever I am well-spoken, whatever it is you want to work towards. And then just by realizing your limiting beliefs, you unlimit them and you become limitless. And the, the, the second to last stage before that actually becomes a reality is you can do all this for ego. You can, you know, realize your dreams. You can create that business. You can have the most perfect appearing relationship, but is it really? But the final thing is really throwing your hands up to God and, or whatever, even if it's gravity and universal, anything, just that there is something bigger than us. Like our humanness is not it. <laughs> you yes. know, and our intuit, the more you connect with your intuition, you will realize you're a soul. You will realize your worth. You will realize how important your dreams are, even if your dream is literally not to spend your life with this one guy named Fred, you know, or I keep using that example, but I, God, I think a lot of people feel stuck in relationships right now. So maybe it's helpful for those a select few, but you know, you just realize yeah. so much more that you can give yourself what you want. And when you realize that, boom, you get it. You got it. Manifestation. Yes. The yogis call it Samadhi. <laughs> So one of my questions around that is I, I'm, this has been a question on my heart for a long time now, because um, I'm still learning this distinction. I think, how do you know the difference between that, that soul dream and desire versus the small human self or egoic ones? How can you recognize the difference? Usually. Yeah, that's a good question because that's what I mean. I'm not a complete guru here. Like I definitely follow my ego as well and all the time, you know, and perhaps that's the, the difficulty in getting over so many things and the slowness of the process is really um, letting that ego go after the fact and during the fact. But I don't think we always do know, Sunny, and I don't think we can know. I often say like, if you can't decide, it doesn't matter. So if you're sitting there pondering back mm -hmm. and forth, is this a soul dream or is this an ego dream? Is this a humanness thing? Is this for me to fill my worth? Well, until you write that book thinking it's going to give you all your worth and you don't get it, now you know. <laughs> you <Yeah>. know? Like, <laughs> yes, okay. that, is a, that, is, that is a really good answer. And I think that goes back to our, at the very beginning of of the show when I ask, you know, have you been able to learn it any other way than either losing the relationship or seeing what it feels like to spend a year on lockdown and not be making the same money you were making, things like that. Like, how can you learn the, this true soul strength and soul dreams without the experience of it? And I, that was exactly how it worked for me. I'll just say, cause you said that a moment ago, you write the book or for example, and, and then it doesn't quite get you where uh, that feeling of worth or true meaning and fulfillment and you go okay maybe that was an ego dream um, I found that to be the case um, and in my own life with um, I was I'm a recovering attorney and so getting that law degree did not get me where I thought it was going to get me in terms of how I felt about myself um, as a soul in the world um, so I left that and here we are but um, it sounds like from from what you know reading this book this book was a true dream of your soul that came about in a really serendipitous way in the long run. Absolutely. And, and, you yeah. know, I just want to give any listeners, like, I think that if you live in the present moment and you look at your, look at this week, all seven days and mm -hmm. you do a, you know, you calm your mind and you move into your body and you ask yourself what you deeply want. 
And if all five days you have the same answer, hmm. you have to go for that. It doesn't matter if it's ego or soul, the <laughs> ego, the soul's moving through the ego, you know? So, yeah. it, but if that's what's yeah. happening, if you seven days a week, you tell yourself the same thing and you just realize it, what are you procrastinating on? Like, let's, let's move forward in that. Let's go. <laughs> oh yeah. It was so, so surfing was that way for you. It sounds like. Yeah. All of it, the surfing and writing this book and, and the book was absolutely serendipitous. And I was stuck on the final chapter, not the final, but the second to last chapter of the book, which is about um, believing and trusting. Yep. And I really didn't get that until mm. the book was the dream that helped me fill that piece into, which was bizarre. Cause I'm like in the book writing process, like there's a missing chapter <laughs> you know, like, and then it was just like, Oh, there it is even more serendipitous. It just taught me. Yes. Like this is ultimately, if you can, everything you're doing, you don't care about the result, but you're just doing it because you want to. And that's what I mean by like, then it becomes less eagle. But if you don't understand that principle and that step and how that works, you're going to have a few ego ego dreams before you realize that you know that at the end you're working towards believing in yourself and trusting in the universe and both in the same way yeah and you know it's funny you bring up that chapter belief and trust because that's the chapter in which you talk about your husband announcing in 2020 and we all remember what kind of year 2020 was your husband announces Mm -hmm. he's leaving how did all of these practices that you have been implementing now for decades support you through that kind of a difficult time? None of them did. None of them. I had to find new rituals. Yes. I picked up a sitar. So I started learning the sitar and it was incredibly difficult, but um, great. I had a 10 years degree. (laughs) I was ready for it. And I had this 19 year old, sitar teacher in India who was also in much more strict lockdowns than even I was and ours was like a house arrest even I tell people we were in lockdown and they're like oh but you went to the store and I'm like no stores were open no Mm. I sat there and I played and she didn't it was therapy on the cellular level and she would you know just tell me things to do out of nowhere I just said I'm trying to get my book published after a class one day and she said oh you should pray to Saraswati so I did, you know, and then a month later, I've never prayed to Saraswati in my entire life, Sunny. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Why would I? I don't even know who Saraswati is, but now that I, I have her here on my shelf, she has a sitar and she's all about creativity and literacy. And so I started praying and it, well, wouldn't you believe it or not? A month later in the middle of COVID when no one's opening, no one's getting work. I got a book deal. I got an agent. <sighs> <laughs> like how did, how, what? <laughs> yeah. So intuition once again just guided me through (laughs) ah that's so beautiful and I love you make such a good uh, that that brings up such a good point that that the what you had the practices or the rituals that you'd been using up to that date needed to shift and change with the shifting and changing circumstances of your life which goes back to what you said earlier in the show that yoga was always meant to be a unique prescription um pulling from the eight steps of the system or the eight principles in the system, just depending on where you are and what you need. And you added a new ritual to your repertoire to help you go through that time. And astrology. Yeah. I added that one too. (sighs) Yeah. Yeah. And, and it sounds like, um, I can't remember where I read this. Um, 
it might have been in the PR materials, but that that on this whole belief and trust and 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 really pulling everything together to this to the ultimate you know the ultimate soul's path, which is what this book helps one connect with. You experienced a lot of magic and miracles along the way, even after this announcement that your husband was leaving. Like in 2020, you you had experienced so many magic and miracles. You're thinking about or considering writing a second book just about all of that. Um, I know we've got mm-hmm. just about two minutes left, but can you share even just a taste of what you experienced? I just, I love the magic and miracle stories. Yes. And I do too. Actually, I do. Like, I love that. And so like we went into another lockdown right after the book was before the book was about to come out, like a few months before in Sri Lanka had the Delta variant come here. And Mm -hmm. so within two days, I booked a flight back to the States and wasn't sure what was going on, what was going to happen. And, you know, for six months, people just showered me. And, and I had this feeling before I went back to that. I, I said to myself, I don't want to stay with people in the house. I want my own house because if someone gets COVID, how are we supposed to isolate? You know, and I've been mm-hmm. dealing with a lot of personal stuff. I just didn't want to share. I didn't want to be on all the time yeah. for dinner. And yeah. if you wouldn't believe it, we were ending up, my son and I, five years old, just kept showing up to like half a million dollar houses for two weeks that were empty. Like the universe delivered in a big Mm. way it was Mm. insane and like I didn't have the money to be Airbnb for six months it just was impossible and if we stayed here in our house in Sri Lanka it was just going to be really hard and sad and a lot of loneliness and instead we got to like cruise big wig style and and see family (laughs) and friends and live in mansions like is that not a miracle (laughs) I'd say so absolutely it is and I love this uh my co-host on one one Friday of the month went on a not an international but a similar journey within the United States and it just it just reiterates to me like when you take the leap like you took the flight to get back to the states not knowing what was going to happen when you take those leaps the universe in my experience will meet you halfway um once you jump and it sounds like the universe absolutely did for you not only in 2020 with that journey but in all of the ways that, you know, you're leaving Alaska and learning to surf and opening um, your uh, yoga, um, and I, is it Shala, your yoga Shala yeah. in, in, in um, Sri Lanka. So um, yeah, and this book tells exactly what you did and how you use the yogic principles to get there. So the book is Rituals of the Soul, Using the Eight Ancient Principles of Yoga to Create a Modern and Meaningful Life. I have been talking with Corey Hahn today. Uh, the website to find out more is santoshasociety.com. That is santoshasociety.com. Um, Corey, we have less than a minute left. Um, thank you so much for being here. Any final message for our listeners? Thank you so much, Sunny. This was really such a joy. And um, yeah, I, I just... I hope everyone knows that they are, they are a soul beneath their humanness and that the um, hard parts of life are so normal and we got to stop yeah. shaming those. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And with that, we will end the show today. Thank you again, Corey. Thank you everyone Thank for you. listening. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Benny in Seattle and Jeff in Petaluma. You have been listening to Sunny in Seattle. I'm your host, Sunny Joy, signing off.